So maybe your challenge is to do the best drawing rendition or doodle rendition of what the passage is all about today. Um, If you're like me, it'll be a bunch of stick figures talking at each other. Um, Why don't we just quickly pray? Thank you, God, that you do love us and that you are good to us. Lord, you treat us so much better than we deserve. We, We deserve nothing but wrath. We deserve nothing but anger. We, we are sinners, God, but we are loved by you and saved by you. Lord, whatever uh, we come with this morning, we just lay it down at your cross, at your throne, and we say, Jesus, here we are as your children. Father, here we are as your children. Jesus, as your brothers, because you've saved us. Lord, speak to us. Help us to be the kind of people that you have created us to be in your Son form Jesus in us. God, please move by your Spirit. Speak to me, through me, your words, by your Spirit's power today. Amen. Being a teacher in a church is not something to be taken lightly. You might notice the the very first words of James chapter 3. James writes and he says, Dear brothers and sisters, Not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, it can be a great boost to your self-esteem to have a whole bunch of people sitting there, keeping quiet, looking at you and listening to you. It's wonderful. While I was at Bible college, uh, one of the activities they got us to do, I think I've mentioned this before, um, to try and show us how easily we can be swayed is... We all got up and we had to, I forget, give a sermon or read a sermon, and everyone in the class would spend the whole time going, Amen, yes, that is so true, oh, absolutely, you know, like verbal adoration. Ooh, and it was nice. And horrible how nice it was, actually. I mean, that, that being a teacher can be a great boost to your self-esteem, and it sounds like many people in James's church that he was writing to wanted that. But, but James says, actually, being a teacher is not something to be taken lightly because being a teacher means you're going to be judged more strictly. Because as a teacher, what I say doesn't just affect me, but it also affects those that I'm saying it to. And that can be intimidating. Because as James goes on to say, we all make a lot of mistakes. We all stumble, we all fall, we all sin. I know that there have been times when, wait for it, I have got things wrong. Boy, thank you so much, guys. That's wonderful. Amen. Amen. (laughs) I know that there are sermons that I've delivered from this very place that I look back and I go, wow, I don't think that was quite right. There was one on Cain and Abel. And I would teach some things differently. But, you know, it goes a little bit further than that because I don't just get things wrong sometimes when I speak. By the way, I don't think anything is majorly wrong. And if there is, it's your job as the church to come and tell me or tell the elders and we'll sort it out. Because we all are prone to get things wrong. But, but you know what? I make mistakes not just when I'm teaching, but sometimes when I'm speaking, I lose control of my tongue. I say things that I shouldn't have. 
things that are hurtful, things that are untrue, perhaps. I mean, sometimes we speak because we've been hurt. Sometimes we say things because we want to hurt others. Sometimes we gossip about others because we don't really care about them. Or maybe because we enjoy that sense of feeling superior to them. I read a story about a guy who, a pastor who, a guy he liked had just phoned and he put down the phone and there was another person in the office with him and he started saying all sorts of horrible things about how terrible this other person was and then he realized he hadn't put the phone down. And he doesn't know why he said it because he likes the guy. But you know, sometimes we stumble. We make mistakes. James says if, if we could control our tongues, by the way, I'm using myself as an example because there's lots of work there, but... Um, I imagine this is true for all of us, that we say things that we shouldn't. James says if we were able to control our tongues, we'd be perfect. We'd be able to control everything else. See, the problem is that who we are on the inside has a habit of making itself heard. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. Does it? Anyone here old enough to remember that? (laughs) Just, says Mark. But words can hurt. Words can cripple and words can destroy. Tell someone you hate them. And sometimes you can see the damage as it's done. I've heard tell of children who've been told you were an accident and nobody really wants you. Do you know the damage that that does? That's just words. It hurts. Words might seem like small things, but they're incredibly powerful. I mean, horses are strong creatures, but says, James, you get a, a little bit in its mouth and we can direct that horse wherever we want it to go. And, and you, you, you think about a sail ship, huge ship driven by massive winds and a tiny rudder at the back directed by a pilot can, can be steered anywhere it wants, they want it to go. James says that our words, our, our tongues, uh, when he speaks of tongues, he, he's speaking of words, I think, the things that we say, the things that we that we communicate. Um, This includes email and SMS and Facebook messages or WhatsApps or whatever you're using. He's talking about our communication. Our words, says James, are small, but they make big boasts. I'm not wanting to defend Hitler, but he was a good speaker. He was able to draw people in with his words. Has anyone watched Braveheart? They may take our... I can't do accents. They may take our freedom. Wait, no. They may take our lives, but they may never take our freedom. Stirring speech. And everyone goes... Words are powerful. Um, 
How about Martin Luther King? I have a dream. It's just words. But those words changed a nation. Words can, can help others. They can encourage others. Or they can tear others to shreds. They can be dangerous. James likens them for us to a, a, a spark. It's small but can set a whole bush afire. He says that the tongue is a, is a world of wickedness that corrupts all that we are. You see, what I say, and th- this is the interesting thing about our words, what I say doesn't just flow from who I am. It doesn't just show you what I am on the inside. What I say also forms who I am on the inside. If I consistently speak negatively about myself... I'm going to start believing what I say. If I consistently say, even in jest, oh, Mark's an idiot, eventually I'm going to start believing it, which isn't true. But our words affect us. If I consistently gossip about someone, I will love them less and less and less. Who we are on the inside has a habit of making itself heard and what we say makes us. says James to us here in, in about verse 6, among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. Our tongues who we are, that the things we say are formed by the fires of hell, says James. Our problem is a spiritual problem when it comes to our communication. It's the existence of evil desires within us. It's the existence of self-centeredness and not loving others the way that God loves us. Our problem is the problem as Christians even now who have been saved by Jesus. Our problem is the problem that Paul brings up for us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, 17. He says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Here we go. Here's the problem. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires which are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly at war within us fighting each other so that you're not able to carry out, you're not free to carry out your good intentions. We have a sinful nature, even as Christians saved by God, warring within us, infecting who we are, changing what we say. Well, it's actually the infection comes by birth. Luckily, we've got some antibiotics in there. We've got uh, the Spirit of God who's making us new, but, but there's that other side of us that is set on fire by the flames of hell itself. I love the way that James is just so visual in all that he says. Remember last week, uh, some things are meant to be taken literally, uh, some things are metaphors, some things are similes, and and James is just full of similes and metaphors for us. He says uh, over here, uh, verse uh, 6 of James, verse 7 of James, that us humans are pretty good at taming animals. Um, Oscar will not eat until he sat down, that's our dog, And he's shaking paws. And he knows it. And you can see he's sitting there and his paws shaking because he really wants to eat. But he knows he's not allowed to. He's a cute dog. (laughs) 
we can tame animals, all sorts of animals. But our tongues, our, our words... No one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. No, no, no. (laughs) That might be you, Nick, because, hey, I know what kind of person you are, but I'm pretty good at minding my words. And now and again, something slips out. But yeah. Yeah, but it slips out. Because even if we sew our lips together, The problem is not our tongues. The problem is not our lips. The problem is within us. In its natural states, our our words which spring from our minds are restlessly evil, like deadly, poisonous animals that that want to strike out at others. Uh, We don't always strike out. I mean, quite often people say things that they wouldn't say Maybe when they are cornered or hurt or afraid or angry. Have you ever noticed when somebody is doing some woodwork at Men's Shed or, you know, if you're a wife, maybe you're the one who does the work in the house because us Men's Shed people aren't that good. You're working away and the nail is there and the hammer is there and you go for the nail and you instead hit your thumb. And it's amazing. Every Christian I know, when they hit their thumb, they go, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. I suspect quite a few people, when they hit their thumb, the, the words are much shorter and much more concise. If you don't understand what I mean, I'll explain afterwards. How many of us, I'll explain now, how many of us let things slip? In uh, Matthew 5, uh, 15 verse 11, Jesus is speaking about the Pharisees have complained about not washing hands and all that sort of stuff and saying you're not richly pure. And Jesus says to them, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You're defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, I hope you realize, Jesus, you've actually offended them. (laughs) Jesus says to his disciples, every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted, so ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. If one blind person guides another, they will both fall into the ditch. And then Peter says, good old Peter, explain to us this parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. There we go. Peter's got it wrong. It's not a parable. It's not... Jesus is being quite literal there. He says, don't you understand yet? Anything you eat passes through your stomach and goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. Our words come from our heart. But it's more complicated than that for us Christians, isn't it? Because as we saw in Galatians, we have the Spirit of God living us, giving us desires that are the opposite of our sinful nature's desires. And, and James says to us in uh, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, that um, with the same tongue, we can praise God and then 
curse others. We can come to church and sing in Christ alone and in the next breath go, have you heard about Fran? How can we praise our Father and then curse those made in His image? We want to celebrate and honor and follow our Father, but there's a part of us that refuses to do what He says, that, and that includes refusing to love His kids, that loves us more than we love God. We don't see them as precious and loved by God and people that He died for. There's a part of us there. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 15 to 20, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick uh, grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is chopped down, thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. A good tree doesn't give bad fruit. A bad tree gives bad fruit. And the two don't mix kind of thing. And yet... How can it be that we can both bless God and curse those that God loves? It'd be like turning on your tap, getting a drink of water and playing Russian roulette as to whether it's going to be salty or fresh, says James. Although he speaks about springs. We tend to use taps these days. It's, it's about as natural as going out to your fig tree and picking some olives or going out to your grapevine for some delicious figs. It's just, it's not right. Our problem is a spiritual one. Our our tongues are so often aflame with hell. And who we are on the inside has a habit of making itself heard. That's a little bit of a downer at the moment, isn't it? (laughs) There is grace. James says we cannot tame our tongues. If we could, we'd be perfect, and we're not perfect because we can't. But there is one who can tame our tongues and who can actually go further than just taming our tongues, what we say, to tame who we are. He he works on the inside. You know, a, a rudder on a ship is a small thing that can direct a ship wherever we want it to go but if you don't have a pilot a a rudder is useless we need a pilot to control the rudder of our souls of our words of our lives of who we are it's it's impossible for me to tame my tongue because my words come from who I am what I need is for God to tame me to more than tame me, to make me new like his son, to make me like Jesus. The law of Moses, says Paul in Romans chapter 8, was unable to save us. Cause of why? Because of the weakness of our sinful nature. And so God did what the law couldn't do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, he declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. 
Paul says those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Those who are controlled by the Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So, says Paul, here's, here's the crunch time. Letting, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Because our sinful nature is hostile to God. It never has pleased God. It never can please God. It never will please God. That's, that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful natures can never please God. But, says Paul, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled, we are controlled as Christians by the Spirit, if we have the Spirit of God living in us. And, and says Paul, remember, those who don't have the Spirit of Christ living in us don't belong to Him at all. And I'd like to add in there that if you've put your faith in Jesus, if you've said, Jesus, I need you, then Jesus says you get the Spirit. So if you're trusting Him, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You have the Spirit of God living in you. You still have to choose to let yourself obey the Spirit. says, Paul, Christ lives in you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You see what Paul says there? You've still got the sinful nature. It's still urging you to do all sorts of things. One of which is to say all sorts of things that God would never say. But says Paul, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do, to say what it urges you to say. For if you live by its dictates, says Paul, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You haven't received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You've received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. God has given us his spirit to live in us and, and he has promised that he is making us to be like Jesus. Our part is to let him, to follow the spirit's leading. Paul says in Galatians, so I say let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And that, that involves a choice on our part. God is at work in us, but we are responsible to choose to say no to the sinful urges that are within us. And we should also remember Galatians 2.20, what Paul says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that easy? No. Hopefully it starts getting easier. It's going to be really easy when Jesus comes back because then we'll be made to be like him. But until then, it's a choice. You see, who we are becoming also has a habit of making itself heard. And what we say in obedience to the Spirit forms us. And what we don't say in obedience to the Spirit, forms us. When we train an animal, we train it by teaching it to do something. We, we say, do this, no, try again, do this, do this, sit, sit, good dog, well done, that's fantastic. In a sense, God does that to us. God says, you know what, 
I'm going to keep picking you up because I'm full of grace and mercy. I'm going to keep changing you and training you and making you to be like my son. You can't tame yourself. But I can and I will. I will make you new. I'll make you like my son. For our part, if we say, well, I will not listen to you, it's hard to train someone who won't listen. So where do we go from here? Um, Some of you might have noticed that we weren't originally going to be doing a message on James and talking today. Uh, But I felt it was important to address this topic today because I've heard that there has been a little bit of gossip going on in our church. Now, I know the temptation for you to sit there is to go, Oh, really? I wonder who's been gossiping. Oh, do you think it was that person? Let's not go there because that's the problem. <laughs> it's not unexpected that there will be times when we gossip and we say nasty things about each other. We, we are all sinful. We all sin in many ways. But I wanted to address this because I've heard that there have been people and people have been concerned enough to come to me and say, hey, I'm worried about the things that I'm being told. Um, uh, People are going around saying things about other people that they wouldn't say to that person face to face. Um, it, It comes down to treating each other with disdain and disgrace rather than with grace and love. I mean, it's not right. Even if what we're saying is true, it's not right to assassinate somebody else's character. Jesus said that people would know that we were his disciples by our love for one another. And I prayed earlier about this church, how much we love each other. And and we do. So let's make sure that that's what people know us for. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, John says to us also that if, if someone says, I love God, but hates their brother or their sister, they're, they're a liar. If we don't love people we can see, how can we love God who we cannot see? Look, if you're seriously worried about something or about someone, or you think people need to be warned about that person, come and speak to one of the elders. Speak to myself. Speak to one of the deacons even. Ideally, better go and speak to that person themselves. If there is an issue, we'll deal with it. But the problem with speaking about people is that we end up with half-truths and Chinese whispers and things are not right. Let's be honest, we've, we've all made mistakes. <laughs> we've all got the things that we struggle with. We do have a choice, though, whether we will use our words to help people know God's love and mercy and grace, or whether we will take onto ourselves the role of judge and jury. If you have a look at uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 11, 12, uh, sorry, James chapter 4, verses 11, 12, James says, Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. Your job is, not to obey, is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. 
So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? And just before our passage today in James chapter 1, verse 26, James says, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Brothers and sisters, we all struggle with the temptation to speak evil of each other. Maybe because we've been hurt by someone. Maybe because we just don't like them. Maybe because... We want to hurt them. Maybe because it makes us feel better about ourselves to realize that that person must be worse than I am. But the good news is that we don't... And the punchline. (laughs) The good news is we don't have to. Let's ask God to help us love each other. Yes, even those who've messed up. Because God loves us despite how much we've messed up. Let's be honest. If, if people found out some stuff about you, would you want them to say that to others? It's different if you come to me and say, I want to tell you something, than if Peter comes to me and says, I want to tell you something about that person. As I say, if you think it's important enough, come and speak to the elders or myself. But let our first priority be to love. Let our first priority be to say, God, I know that within me, my first instinct set on fire by the flames of hell is to unleash my tongue. And I know that within me there is this Uh, this uh, ability to poison others with what I say. So would you help me just to shut up for a while, to seek your face, to know the best thing to say, to know the best thing to do, so that I can show your grace and your love to that person. Don't get me wrong. This isn't a, oh no, we're such a bad church. I wish we were better. This This is, hey, of course we're a bad church. We're sinners, we're broken, we mess up all the time, but God loves us. And he's still in the business of taming us and making us new. Amen.